right, go ahead and take your Bibles and go to the book of Romans. We are going to begin preaching through the book of Romans. I feel like I'm the last preacher on earth that has preached through the book of Romans. Um, I actually did go through Romans uh, during Sunday school years ago, not long after starting the church, uh, but I didn't, uh, I never, I didn't record it. I didn't post the sermons back then, so. It's been so long ago now, none of you have heard it, and I've learned a lot about the book of Romans since then too, and so if I had put, posted it back then, I would be wanting to do it over, because um, uh, it, it'll definitely be a lot better this time, and uh, two, like every Baptist preacher, I'm talking old IFB, uh, they, they love preaching through the book of Romans, and the amount of foolishness that's preached from this book is just absolutely nauseating, and I've listened to a lot of preaching through the book of Romans from them, and I just get so frustrated, and so it's like one of those things I've been wanting to get to this book forever, and I just for some reason never get to it, but it was time to start a new book, and it just happened to be on the first Wednesday of June, and what do you want to preach in June? You want to preach Romans 1, and so I figured that's a sign. We're going to go right into it, and so we're going to go through the whole chapter, and um, one of the things that we're going to be doing as we go through this book that is very important, because while you know I'd love to just devote everything to the reprobate doctrine tonight, um, we are going to mainly make sure we are getting a full look at the entire chapter. And I'm telling you, in the book of Romans, one of the problems, especially in the old IFB world that they have, okay, there is no rule that says when you preach through a book, you have to preach through a whole chapter a week. There's no rule that says that you have to do that. There is no rule that says you can't just do two or three verses at a time. There's no rule. Okay? I'm not trying to make any rules right now. However, if you only preach two or three or four or five verses at a time, it's real easy for you to isolate those texts and to miss the message of the entire chapter. And I'm telling you, that's what always happens with this book. So um, if we will look at each chapter as a whole, if we will look at this as one letter, which is exactly what it is, it'll change everything. And we're going to see some things in this chapter that I'm going to point out too that are going to really help us in some other chapters. In fact, there's one thing we're going to see in here too, not to get ahead of myself, that's going to help us when we get to Romans 11. And Romans 11 is probably the most butchered chapter in all of Romans. And this is one letter. Paul, uh, he did not want us ignoring what he was said in chapter 1 when we're looking at chapter 11. It ties in. This was meant to get up and probably be read all at once to a church. Not to, be, not to just preach chapter 1 and 10 weeks later preach chapter 11. Or in the case of the old IFB, 72 weeks later. You know, and, and I hear preachers, I was preaching through Romans for three years. And you still haven't got Romans 11 figured out. Like, come on. But... So again, there's no rule that says you can't do that. If you ever go to church somewhere and that's how they're doing it, you know, don't act like the pastor's a heretic. But um, it's one of the reasons, if you hear them do it that way and they preach it dead wrong, that's why. They're isolating the text way too much. So uh, enough talk about that. We need to get into this because there's a lot I want to cover. So verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of of God. And Paul right here is identifying himself in this letter with the very first word. This is Paul's first epistle in our Bible. And notice how it starts out, Paul. All of Paul's epistles start with Paul. 
He mentions that in one of his other epistles. That is his token in every epistle that he writes. That's how he would start his letters because people would sometimes write letters and say that they were Paul. And he warned them about that. In 2 Thessalonians 2, he talked about them not, you know, if the uh, letter, if they get a letter written as by us, but they have Christ at hand. Don't let anybody deceive you into that. And so he's identifying himself. Notice the title that Paul gave himself. His title was a servant of Jesus Christ. And as far as his use of the word apostle, he was not, I don't think he was showing that word, showing a title, but more it was showing the work that he was called to do as a servant. Because the word apostle means sent. Okay, We've made a big deal over that as a title where you know you have your apostle Geno Jennings and people like that today. Uh, and they do that as a way to try to elevate themselves. But it just means sent. And Paul, obviously, he was sent for a very special task. He is a very special individual. But notice, he said the word, he called himself a servant. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. That was his title. That's not, that's not a lofty title. That's a lowly title. But that's how Paul was. Notice, too, how he said separated unto the gospel. Meaning, if you're separated for something, that means you've set your part yourself apart for something very specific. Okay? And Paul, his life was set apart for the gospel, meaning the gospel was the main focus of his life. It was his highest priority. It was the focal point of his work. And so just like we often have tools for very specific purposes, God's main purpose for Paul was the advancing of the gospel. That was his job. That was his calling. That's what he was meant to do. Notice this. After Paul mentions the fact that he was separated, meaning set apart for the gospel, he, and we have a group of people today out there, dispensational, Ruckmanite types, and even and some that aren't Ruckmanites, who act like Paul preached a different gospel than what Jesus preached. That Paul had a separate gospel for the Gentile church. But notice, after Paul said he was separated unto the gospel of God, says, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the gospel Paul preached, it was not a new gospel, but it was the one that was promised by the prophets. The gospel that he preached is one that is referred to in the Old Testament. What was it? It was a promise of something that was to come. What was to come? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So anytime, you know, Bill Grady wants to get up and say, you know, these people that say that the people in the Old Testament were looking forward to the cross and that's the biggest, dumbest bunch of stupid junk I've ever heard or whatever, he's wrong. They were looking forward to it. They prophesied of this gospel that was to come. And Paul, what he preached was what was promised by the prophets. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Why is he mentioning that? Because these prophecies about the Messiah, it was prophesied he was going to come from the line of David. That's, that's referenced several times in the Old Testament. That gospel that they promised was concerning Jesus Christ. It was not another gospel. It was not a gospel of faith plus works. It was the gospel of faith in the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, and declared 
to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. If there was any doubt Jesus was the Son of God, there should have been no doubt after He, was, after he died, was buried for three days and rose again from the dead. That proved beyond any shadow of a doubt who He was. And it says, "...by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name." among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. And this gospel that was promised was something that was not just for Israel, it was for the whole world. And these men who were of Israel, who were obedient to the law, who were obedient to the Old Testament, and they believed on the promised Messiah, they went and they took that message to the entire world because it was not just for Israel, it was for the whole world. And Paul's talking to these Romans. And he says, and you're a part of this. You are a part of this, of what was promised in the Old Testament because of Jesus Christ. He, here he is declaring that Jesus was in fact exactly who he said he was. Jesus is what Paul was all about. And Jesus is what Paul had in common with these people. Paul was a Jew. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrew. He was a Pharisee. He had done all these things according to the law, but yet Paul also had a very close and very special connection with these Romans who had a completely different background, who had a completely different lineage, were from a completely different nation. And what was that connection? Something more important than blood, something more important than geography, something more important than anything you get from the law, and that was Jesus Christ. That's what it was important. And that is what it is all about. So verse 7, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see here exactly who Paul is addressing. He's addressing all who are in Rome who are beloved of God. Basically the saints in Rome. This is for all of the believers who are in Rome. And he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And you know what? We, sh we ought to have the type of Christianity that people are talking about in a good way. That people are talking about all over the world. And you know what? We ought to have the type of Christianity that people are even talking about in a negative way if they're wicked people. Right? Now, unfortunately, we have more people to talk about us negatively. But again, typically, they're wicked people. But you know what that just means? It means we're doing something. That means we're accomplishing something. It means that we're making a difference. And you know what? We ought to be, people ought to talk about what we do. We ought to be inspiration. You know, we were talking before church about, I was talking to Brother Eric about our international guests that we have. And we have one here tonight. And I'm thankful that, you know, we have people who come and visit us from other countries and other states and make it a point to do that. That's encouraging. I'm glad what we're doing is having a reach. I'm thankful for that. Okay, and a lot of preachers are critical of that. You know, these guys going on the internet, pastoring other people's members and stuff like that. It's like, well, you know, if you fed them something besides dispensational Kool-Aid, you know, laced with poison from Ruckman, you know, maybe they wouldn't need what we have to offer. You know, if you would actually get your Bible and study something and preach what the Holy Spirit laid in your heart and what you glean from hours of study and hard work and, and true right division, maybe people wouldn't need what we have to offer. Again, you know, we're not going out looking for these people. You know, they're coming to us because what we're doing is being spoken of, and you know, some of it in a good way, some of it in a bad way. And uh, this church in Rome 
people were talking about him. You know why? Because they had a great faith and they were doing a great work for the Lord. And so in verse 9, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. And we see in the, in the Bible and in the book of Acts especially, it talks a lot about the Apostle Paul going and establishing churches and meaning to strengthen. And it talks about him also confirming the churches, which can mean to establish. But Paul would do things to strengthen people. And the way he would strengthen these people, there were many ways, but one of the ways that he would strengthen, strengthen people and establish them is by giving them a greater knowledge of the Bible and of doctrine. That's why when he would write them these letters, he is confirming doctrine. They don't have a completed canon of Scripture at this point. All they have at this point is the Old Testament. That's all they have. And they have the apostles that are going and that are preaching the truth to them, but the, the written Word is just being put together. And so, and think about it. You know, we are a very well-established church and there are many well-established churches all over the world today. You know why? Because we have these writings. And so understand when the church was in it, you know, when the, or when I guess you could say the reformed church, the New Testament churches are being started. And I mean reformed in the biblical sense, not in the Calvinist sense. But understand that there was a lot of things that, you know, were new to them. And so Paul, he taught them traditions. He taught them methods. There were many things that he taught them, that he explained to them. And so when Paul heard about this church in Rome that's accomplishing a lot, he wanted to go and help them to get them established to make sure they stay straight. Because false doctrine was creeping into the church immediately. We see that in the book of Acts. Satan went to work in the church immediately trying to send false doctrine in, especially in adding works to salvation. That was being done right away. Satan is slipping in the leaven of a works-based salvation. And folks, the book of Romans, it, is, it just shows the blindness of anyone how they could read the book of Romans and still teach a works-based salvation at all. Even though, too, they try to, they don't even call it works-based salvation, but it clearly is. Everything is explained so clearly in this book. It just leaves no doubt for anything. Let me, and let, I'm not trying to be braggadocious. I am not boastful in anything I'm saying right now. But ladies and gentlemen, what we teach about salvation in this church is right on the money. And I am not embarrassed to say that. I am not ashamed to say that. The Bible is really clear. And we are so sure we are right, we have no problem sending our members out all over this community and letting them present the gospel to people and lead them in the center of prayer. We are, we are very confident in doing that because we are sure we're right. And one of the reasons we are so sure we're right is because of the book of Romans. Thank God for this book. And Paul is writing this letter that we, are, we have benefited from so much to help establish this church and strengthen them. 
And he says, For I long to see that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, the enemy may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. And when a church is a church worth talking about, people are going to want to see it for themselves. Paul's like, I want to get to you people. I want to see what you're doing. You know, and I want to be a help and a blessing to you. And you know why Paul wanted to be a blessing like that? You know why people want to be blessings to churches that are accomplishing something? You know why we, you know, we're blessed to have people who see what we're doing and have contributed, whether financially, whether you know, spiritually through praying for us, you know, through moral support, even just coming and visiting. These kind of things are a blessing and encouragement to us. But when people see a church that's doing something and accomplishing something for God, they want to be a blessing. You know why? Because they want to be a partaker. And that's why Paul wanted to give them a spiritual gift Paul wanted to be a partaker in what they and what they were doing, and we're going to see that. And, and we, he he spells that out here in this chapter. He wanted to be a blessing, and you know what? We ought to want to be a blessing to God's people, His real people, not the fake people. <laughs> it, you know, it, yeah, we should bless God's people, and that's people who not only are saved, but especially those who are doing the work of the Lord and are accomplishing something for the cause of Christ, we ought to be an encouragement to them. We ought to do whatever we can. Verse 13, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. So Paul said, Listen, I've been trying to get to you, but things have been letting me or hindering me from coming to you. And he said, I wanted to come to you because I want to, have, I want to be able to be a partaker of your fruit. You guys are getting something done. And if I'm being a help and a blessing to you, if I'm strengthening you, if I'm making you better as a church, then I'm going to receive rewards for what you're doing. And folks, we ought to have that same mentality. If we find, you know, when we, when we find out about a missionary that's just out there tearing it up and getting people saved, we ought to want to be a financial blessing. We ought to want to be a spiritual blessing to them. We ought to want to be an encouragement to them. When we have preachers and pastors from other churches that are doing a work for the Lord and are getting people saved, we ought to want to be a blessing to them when they come here. And we ought to want to encourage them and fire them up and keep them excited. Because if we do something to help keep them going, you know what? We're a partaker of their fruit. Listen, if we're a partaker of someone's evil deeds who's presenting a false gospel because we bid them Godspeed, are we not going to be a partaker of someone's good deeds if they're preaching the right gospel. So you know what? Let's be a blessing to those people. Paul, he, Paul, that was Paul's mentality. I want to do something for somebody that's doing something. Why? I want, cause I want some, I want part of those rewards. And you know what? That's not, if you, if, if you think that's selfish, you know what? Go ahead and be selfish in that area. There's nothing wrong with wanting eternal rewards. Nothing wrong with that. We ought to be living for those things. In fact, the Bible says, to lay up treasures in heaven. So you know what? Go for it. Go for it. You see somebody doing something for God, be a blessing to them. And I, I'm thankful that, you know, I've, I mean, even just, you know, just, just last week, you know, I had somebody call me up just to be a help and encouragement, you know, that knew that there were challenges that we were facing and, you know, and it's somebody and, you know, they, they appreciate the ministry here and what we're doing and want to be an encouragement 
And, and you know, that, that stuff means a lot to me. You know what? It motivates me to keep going. You know, I, sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to have a pity party or anything, but, you know, sometimes you just get tired of hearing negative things about yourself. And, I'm gonna, and you know, if I may, again, I've done this quote before, and I'm going to do it again because it was one of my favorite quotes by Beaver Cleaver. He, he told the story one time about how the kids in school were tell, always telling him he drank gutter water. He said, but I didn't drink gutter water. But the kids told me I drank gutter water so much, my stomach started to feel like I had drank gutter water. And you know, I don't think I'm a terrible person, but when enough people tell you you're a terrible person enough, sometimes you start to feel like a terrible person. And you know, and it's nice when there's people that actually go and, you know, if they see you, you know, fighting a battle, you see you being challenged, instead of kicking you while you're down, they try to lift you up. That's a blessing. And let me tell you, people like that, God's going, God sees that. God sees if we give a cold cup of water in His name to somebody. And when God sees that kind of thing, you know what? They're, going, they're not going to lose their reward. And you know what? I'll, tell, I'll just tell all you who all it was. It would just you know, encourage me last week. I appreciate it. But in case you're wondering who it is, I won't say his name here. But he visited here Sunday. So, and, and, I, and I appreciated that. Just you know, being an encouragement. And I thank God for people like that. They, they really do mean a lot. And, uh, and we need to be that way to people. I believe we always ought to be ultimately focused on our church and all that. But you know what? It, there's nothing wrong with paying attention to others that are out there doing a work for the Lord and just taking the time every once in a while to send them some encouragement. I try to do that, especially when I see other preachers getting attacked. And I see preachers getting attacked all the time. In fact, I, I, I just saw something today. I, didn't, I, I just found out about it. But there's a pastor I know that I'm friends with. He's getting creamed by the sodomites right now. And he barely did anything. All he did was posted a picture of his family and it's that one where it's like the rain, it's like the umbrella over the rainbow, like protecting him from the propaganda. And he's getting creamed by the sodomites just, just because of that. And, and, and I do. I, when I see people getting creamed by the sodomites, I like to send them some encouragement. Because you know what? We need more people standing up against the sodomites. We really do. And so, um, you know, pe- people are getting discouraged. I'm tired of seeing pastors lightening up. And they're preaching against the sodomites. So when I see a guy, even if he doesn't quite preach it exactly the way I do, I see him doing something right in that area, and he gets creamed for it, last thing I'm going to do is ignore that. I'm going to encourage him to keep going because we need more people speaking out against these freaks. So verse 14, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as, it, as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. And so even though salvation is free, we need to understand we should have an attitude that we owe it to the world to tell others about the free gift of eternal life because somebody told it to us. Somebody came to us okay, and gave us the truth of the gospel and we received salvation completely free and that ought to cause us to feel like, you know what, somebody told me and I'm going to heaven because of it, I need to tell somebody else. I would hate to be that person that, you know, nobody came to. And so I'm not, you know, I'm going to do everything in my power to let everybody I can know about Jesus Christ. And he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to 
the Greek, meaning, not that the Jews are the priority, but meaning that gospel started with them. It went to them first, but now, as promised, like it was prophesied by the prophets, it is spread to the whole world. The Greeks got it now, too. And a lot of Gentiles were being saved during this time. And we've got preachers out there today taking that verse saying this means every church's priority should not be their Jerusalem. You don't have your Jerusalem. Your priority is Jerusalem. And it's like, that's dumb. No, that's not what these verses are saying. But verse 17, I'm not going to expound on that. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, and it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, let's get a hold of what we're seeing here. I, I want us to make sure we're getting the big picture here so we can fully understand this chapter. And notice how he says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And first off, before we go into that, there are many reasons people are ashamed of the gospel. One, the simplicity of the gospel. To the Gentiles, it was foolishness. You know, and, uh, but uh, to the Jews, it was a stumbling block. But Paul wasn't ashamed because that gospel he preached, while it was a stumbling block to the Jews and while it was foolishness to the Greeks, that gospel is what got people saved. Thank God Paul wasn't one of these trendies that are out there today that's so worried about the culture that they're trying to make it more culturally relevant. No, Paul understood a lot of Greeks are going to laugh, a lot of Jews are going to hate it, but this message is what gets people saved, so guess what, we're going to tell it. I'm going to tell it like it is because it's this message that gets people saved. You don't change, if you change the message, you add something to it, you take it away, it's not going to do anything. It might make people like you better, but just because people like you better doesn't mean they're going to get saved. They're only going to get saved if they believe the gospel. And so the simplicity of the gospel will get you in trouble, but also the persecution, the loss of earthly things that can come from devoting your life to the gospel like Paul. A lot of people are ashamed of that. They don't want to deal with the ridicule. They don't want to deal with the problems, the persecution. Uh, and because of the scorn and ridicule you'll get for preaching the truth, you know, a lot of people are, are ashamed because of that. It's like, if I, if I preach this, I'm not going to be liked. I'm going to be hated. And so they're embarrassed. But you know what? Paul, he didn't care because Paul cared about souls. And what we've got to get a hold of, and what I want you to notice here, we're going to see what... It's like Paul's shifting gears a little bit here. It's like, so far, this has been really positive. But now it's like it's about to get real negative. Okay? But what's going on here? And so our, our world, what we need to understand, and what Paul's about to show us here, definitely, we were, we're not supposed to forget what he's telling us here before we get to Romans chapter 11, which everyone does. I'll probably remind us of some of these things when we get to Romans chapter 11, but... People who butcher Romans 11, which is almost everybody, do not pay attention to what is said in chapter 1 and what Paul lays out and establishes in Romans chapter 1. But our world is responsible for what they do with what is given to them, especially with the gospel. And we'll see that when we get to Romans 11. But what we're going to see here, too, is very similar to what we see in John 3. You know, in John 3.16, you know, we have... For God so loved the world. But then right after that in verse 17, it says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. 
But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Here's something we need to understand about the gospel. And I, I, I kind of gave this, my, my, it seemed like a strange time. I, I titled it, The Blessing and Curse of the Soul Winner. The Blessing and Curse of the Soul Winner. Did you know when you go soul winning, you are being a blessing to this community. But you're also, you could potentially be bringing a curse on them too. It depends on what they do with what is given to them. And if they do not do right with what is given to them, ultimately what we bring is kind of a curse, you could say. And I'll show you why here in a little bit. Because the gospel is a great blessing, but when it gets presented and rejected, it changes everything for them. It's a curse. So verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And remember in verse 17, it says, For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. When it comes to the gospel, we understand that means good news, but the good news is something we learn after we learn the bad news. That's why a lot of, you want to know why a lot of people don't get excited when they hear the gospel that we present to them? Because they've never heard the bad news because they go to Pastor Skinny Jean's church who never preaches on sin. He never preaches on hell. He's made the people in the church think that they are good enough to go to heaven. So the thing is, you can't understand the good news without understanding, wait, there's some bad news. And understand the bad news is revealed first. The bad news is something that is revealed from heaven. The bad news is something that God has shown to the world. That's what he's telling us right here. And so every culture in the world understands certain things like certain biblical concepts. Now, they'll say it different. But every culture in the world understands things like you reap what you sow. Don't they? Whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. That's how the Bible says it. But people understand that. They often, you know, what goes around comes around is how they'll say it. They will call it karma. They'll call it things, they'll call it things like that. They might even attribute it to other gods, depending on what their beliefs are. But the simple fact is, there is a universal truth. There is something that God has put inside of every man that when you do wrong, it's going to come back on you. You kill somebody, you're in trouble. You steal, you commit adultery. There are certain things. Everyone just instinctively knows you shouldn't do that. God has put that in every man. That's what he's telling us right here. It says in verse 19, because every man, every man at least starts out with a conscience. Every man at least starts out feeling guilt and remorse when they do wrong. There is something in them that tells them, don't lie, don't cheat. It's stressful to lie. It's stressful to lie. And that's the thing about psychopaths and sociopaths and things like that. It's psychiatrists, they'll, they'll talk about how these people are kind of a mystery because most people are stressed out when they lie, but these people, they don't even care. It's like something's broken in them. It's like something happened to them. Something did happen to them. We understand what it is. And we're going to see it here in a little bit. But it is, it's a stressful thing. Where does that come from? Where does it come from? God put it in them. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. So again, right and wrong, we get it. When Adam and Eve, they ate the forbidden fruit, they immediately knew that they were naked. Their eyes were open. They knew good and evil. 
And let me tell you, that knowledge has been passed down. Isn't it interesting how even in the animal kingdom that you don't have to teach an animal how to feed its young? All the things that you don't have to teach an animal. And what do people always say? How do animals know how to do these things? Instinct. Well, you know, how'd they get that? God put it in them. Well, what about right and wrong? How, how do people know right and wrong? Instinct. God put it in them. It's there. And that's why, too, we're not out of line when people who promote sodomy and perversion, we say these people are reprobates. Because there is no way you would naturally, scientifically come to the conclusion that that type of behavior is in any way acceptable at all unless something happened to you. You know why? Because there's something that's inside all of us. There's something inside all men. Everybody has, under, everybody has understood this. These things were true. Everybody knew this less than 20 years ago. There's a famous saying. And I know, it's, I know it's a TV show and I know it's carnal and I know they were being funny. But some, the reason comedy's funny is because it's based in reality too. When Michael Scott said corporate has made it my responsibility to put an end to 100,000 years of people being weirded out by gays. And, and it's so funny he said it because, and you know, he's supposed to look ignorant and stupid for saying that, you know, you know, you know that's, that's, this, that's this goofy guy. What's he, but what's he just doing? He's just saying these obvious things you're not supposed to say. And that's it. Everybody's always been weirded out by homos. Why? Because there's something in us. There's some, it, it's, it's instinctive. You know, they're always calling us homophobes and things like that. It's just called instincts. Okay? Just like we're all creeped out by predators and just like, you know, we're, you know there's a lot of things that naturally creep us out. We're creeped out by snakes, creeped out by spiders, things like that. And everybody's creeped out by fruits Every, everybody is it's instinctive we know there's something wrong nobody has to teach us that it's instinctive it god put it in us and and we understand that there's going to be a bad result as then everybody knows that verse 20 for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen okay what what do the the atheists or the atheist religion tell us and folks Atheism is a religion, okay? Proof of that is a, a true atheist that's all about science is going to be against things that are harmful to human, to, that, are, that are, you know, bad for health. They act like they're all about the environment, but then they're all for sodomy that just spreads disease. And isn't it interesting how the biggest promoters of faggotry are always atheists? Why? Because it's a religion, it's a, it's, it's a religion. It's an anti-God religion. It's people who hate God. And a true atheist, okay, one who just truly does not believe in God from the heart and is just convinced of science is going to be against homos and against trannies. And yet they all promote tranny stuff too. Just proves what frauds they are. Why don't they just admit that they are an anti, they're just a God-hating religion? That's all they are. And they, they act like we believe in fantasy, and yet they believe girls can be boys and boys can be girls, and that men can have babies, even though it's never happened. It's never happened. We've got 8 billion people in this world. All, of them, all their moms were women, <laughs> and yet they can, they'll tell you, men can have babies too. It's just absolutely ridiculous. So, and, you know, and so what do they do? They demand 
Well, I need this physical evidence of God. But wait a minute. The invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Everybody gets it. Everybody understands it. Everybody understands that any society that has ever embraced homosexuality has always suffered and fallen as a result of it. Everybody understands it. Everybody gets that. But you all don't. You know, and, and so, again, I don't, know, I, just, I don't know what to tell these people. You know, what, do you, what do you tell somebody who actually believes that this kind of thing, stuff is okay? It doesn't make any sense. So the invisible things from the creation world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And when it says Godhead there, it's, this isn't a reference to the Trinity, but a reference to the authority of God. Okay? That, and that's kind of what the Godhead is about. You know, It's about the structure of the Godhead. and you, know, you have Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But when it's talking about them knowing His Godhead, it's understand everybody gets it that God is in charge. Everybody gets it that God is the one that makes the rules. Everybody gets it that God is the creator. It's just, it's instinctively in all of us. These truths are clearly seen, but sadly, many ignore and they block out these truths. Why? John 3.19 And this is the condemnation that light has come to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. If we saw somebody walking around in here and they were tripping over every chair, running into walls and things like that, we would assume they're in darkness and must be blind. Because the light's on. We can see all these things, but they're tripping over chairs, running into walls. They're clearly blind. And let me tell you something. You can act like you're enlightened all you want, but when you're saying homosexuality is okay and acceptable and you know that global warming is real and all these things, I see a blind man stumbling all over everything in the light. That's what I see. You're not going to convince me that you know what's going on. It makes no It makes no sense. So everyone is responsible, though, for what they do with the light that God gives them. Nobody has an excuse to go to hell. And everybody is always bringing up, you know, what about people in other countries? That's what everybody does. But notice, these things are in all the world. They've been seen in all the world. There's other places in the Bible we don't have time to go to. That was mentioned in Psalms 19. How their, their line has gone out into all the world. Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Talking about how the heavens declare the glory of God. Knowledge of God is available all over the world. And Romans 1, is. I wish we had time to go through Psalms 19 and connect what it's saying there to what we see in Romans 1. It's saying the exact same thing. The whole world knows. But the reason they're so backwards in some cultures... The reason they're so primitive in some places, the reason it's so horrible and it's so dark is because they as a people have refused the light that God has given them. They have suppressed the light. They have attacked God's people. They have attacked missionaries. They have attacked people who preach the truth. They've banned Bibles. They've done all those things. And so they're in darkness now for a reason. And you know, it's not God's fault. And everybody will look and say, well, it's so much better in America than it is in Africa or in Iraq. Those poor Iraqis, God's not fair. Yes, He is fair. Thankfully, there's been people, you know, this country's been more friendly to the gospel. And so, we're better off as a result of that. And so, 
in some ways, you could say darker countries have an advantage. You say, well, what about some of those poor little individuals? You know, what about poor Mahmoud over in Saudi Arabia? You know, what's he, spo- what's he supposed to do? Well, you know, light is more, more noticeable in darker places. But again, if Mahmoud doesn't do something to respond to that light, he's going to be in trouble. And we do. And, and in America, we have our disadvantages too because we have fake lights all over the place. The Bible says Satan is transformed into an angel of light. So we do. We have so much light, it's hard to shine bright enough sometimes to actually be seen so, you know, people, because people get distracted by the other lights. And let me tell you, the lights of the devil are purple lights. Amen. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I thought I'd throw that in there. But, uh, verse 21, because that, when they knew God, remember, they understood his Godhead. They understood his authority. And when they knew God, and when they understood the authority that he has, when they understood he was the creator, he had the right to tell them what to do. When they knew that, they glorified him not as God. They, they rejected his authority over them neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened and while salvation is not obtained by repenting of one's sins just understand most people don't even want to know the truth about their sins they don't want to know because you know the truth is you can't enjoy your sin when you truly understand what god thinks about and what it's going to cost you you know if i was to eat a go to a fancy restaurant and they made me their best steak but i knew it was going to cost me a thousand dollars i wouldn't be able to enjoy that i'd get i'd get sick to my stomach it's like man i love a good steak i can't afford a thousand dollars and you know what people they don't want to think about going to hell they don't want to think about even the earthly consequences of their sin they don't want to think about it so you know what they do they hide themselves from the light and you know what if you do that that's your own fault ladies and gentlemen that's not God's fault. That's your own fault. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And isn't it funny how the atheists who promote faggotry also act like they're smarter than the rest of us? Isn't that interesting? But right here, it shows you what happens to people who reject truth. No one is born this way. Okay? The, the, the lame, scared Baptists that act like we're violating the Great Commission, we're not going to every creature because we're not going after the race of queers, which isn't even a race. Okay? They, they don't understand. <laughs> they don't understand the Bible. Okay? They obviously had the truth, but they rejected it. No one is born that way. Those who became fools became that way because they rejected truth. Atheism has to be taught. That's why they demand that Bibles be kept out of the schools. That's why they demand that the, the uh, religion of Darwinianism be taught in the schools. No one is going to naturally be an atheist. No one will naturally do it. You have to be taught. You have to be taught to embrace your sinful nature and to explore wickedness and to go ahead and try all the things that everything in you says don't do that. And that's why they encourage, that's why they're doing the drag shows. That's why they're showing pornographic books to these kids in their schools. That's why they want to teach sex education at a young age. What What they're trying as early as they can to get kids to ignore what their instincts are telling them. Why? So they can get them to just go into depravity just like them. Get them hating God early so these kids will not call out to God when they are abused. Because we don't have time to go to the scriptures on that. A child calling out to God for help is a very powerful thing. A very powerful thing. And there is a reason these groomers in public schools 
promoting homosexuality and they are groomers and we are told not to say that because that is abusive to them, I will always be abusive then because they are groomers. They are doing that because they, they don't want these kids calling out to God. They do, they, are, they do see them as prey and do want to violate them and they don't want any consequences for it. And they know that they're there. They know the consequences are coming. And, but they would come sooner if these kids would cry out to God. Man, if we get these kids to cry out to God, uh, that, that would be so powerful. But while being an atheist is very unnatural, understand worshiping gods is very natural. The problem is most turn God into something made in their own image instead of receiving the truth that we were made in the image of God and fell. And instead of trying to reconcile ourselves to God, many people just try to turn God into what they want Him to be or something like them. And it says in verse 23, "...and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things." And so the reason so many nations have been savage and backwards, it wasn't because they had a belief in a God. Because that's what the you know, atheists will do sometimes too. You know, look at all these primitive places and you know, they all worship gods and idols and things like that. Their problem wasn't belief in a God, but it was the fact that they made a God in their image. That's why. And you know, the smarter the people were, typically the smarter their gods were. You know, they were a little more creative and impressive and things like that. But here's a massive difference. You want to know what the big difference is between the one true God and literally every other God that ever existed? And you know, there are some other gods that were pretty powerful. You know, Zeus was pretty powerful, you know, according to Greek mythology and all that kind of thing. But you want to know ultimately the, the massive difference, and that is holiness. Holiness. No, they're the only God that is considered holy is the God of the Bible. You know why? Because every other God is man-made and man likes to make a God like himself. And guess what? None of us are holy. That is the big difference right there between our God and every other God. Holiness is, there's a massive difference. And so what happens when you reject the one true holy God? You're going to go for one made in your sinful image. It says, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And you will be given over to uncleanness, forcing you to deal with the curses and the destruction of sin. If you do that, if you go that far as to reject God and then try to make him into something that he's not, like these people that are out there, Jesus would love homos. Okay? What they? They're making a God in their image. Okay? The Hollywood Jesus is a God in their image. And let me tell you, when you do that kind of thing, He will turn you over to uncleanness. And you will get worse. You will actually be serving yourself instead of serving God. And we all understand how people can, can get sucked into certain sins. We all get that. There are temptations that everyone faces that we can all understand and relate with. But then, there's some people out there that are doing things that we would look at and think, there's something really wrong with these people. Okay, what's going on with them? Well, for verse 26, for this cause. Because they turn God into something that He's not, God gave them up 
unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And so while at one time everyone had a conscience and things restraining them, understand that restraint was something that God put in them. And God put these things in them, trying to reach out to them so they would be saved. That's why God put that in them. Okay, But there came a point, there comes a point where God says He's done, and then God removes those things, giving them over to a reprobate mind for their destruction. Okay? And so verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And isn't it interesting, the main thing it points out is homosexuality. It's the main thing it points out. But yeah, you still have Baptists. What more could we do to reach the LGBT community? Shut up. Hey, you, I, um, you, know, you know what? I, I got mad this week. I almost did a post, but I got sidetracked and forgot about doing it. I may need to do it sometime. I was going to write out a list of things that I'm doing to reach the LGBTQ community. And I was going to put nothing on it. <laughs> I, I'm not. You know, I'm sorry. If I'm doing anything, I'm trying to get people saved before they turn into that. That's what I'm trying to do. That, and I think that's all, all we can do. But here's, here's a good way to illustrate what it means to be given over to a reprobate mind. Okay? Let's take our beloved city, Chicago, for example. Okay? Many, think about how many laws have been given trying to get that city under control. I heard just this week, and there's like over 50 people shot. Look how many laws. New leaders have been appointed. They're always trying to help the black community. So what do they always do? They always, whenever they get a new chief of police or whatever, it's always a black guy. That'll help. That'll make them respect the police. You know, they hire a black mayor, a lesbian. You know, that didn't make anything better. They're always doing all these community programs. We've been to some of the buildings that they've built. These community buildings where they can play basketball. They've got all these parks and fields. They've got programs. They build them swimming pools. I mean, they're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars doing program after program, trying to help the city, trying to help these people get on their feet. But you know what? What if at some point the government just said, you know what? We have done everything we can. We have spent millions and yet you all, you, we've done everything we can with the police, yet you all are, you don't even want police. You all destroy all the parts that we make for you. You don't do anything with these programs. You know what? We've decided we are going to give you what you want. No cops. No more programs. We're done. We're pulling out. What do you think would happen in Chicago if, if the government that is doing some restraint just left? You know what would happen? That city would become filled with all unrighteousness and shootings and gangs and thefts and gambling and prostitution and debauchery, and sodomy, and incest. You, we all know what would happen to that city. It would be horrible. It would be considered cruel. It would be considered punishment. The government, all they're just going to do is just leave. If they just left and said, we're doing nothing for you, can you imagine what that city would turn into? And they're just giving them what they want. That's what happens when God gives someone over to reprobate mind. He takes all the restraints away. The things that were protecting them from themselves. God takes it away, and you know what happens? 
They become filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. This becomes the existence of people given over to a reprobate mind. Why? God took the restraints out. And folks, when somebody comes along and they give all evidence of being given over to a reprobate mind exactly as described in Romans chapter 1, why in the world would we mess with them? It doesn't make any sense at all. God gave them up to those things. And I would be a weirdo if after Chicago pulled out and just left, I just went and was like, you know what? I'm going to Chicago with my six-shooter, and I'm going to bring law and order to that city. You know what? You just need to let them die out. That's what they need to do. I'll tell you, there's a lot of cities right now. I think they just need to wall these places off and just let them finish each other off. I mean, that, that, that's how bad it is. It's it's that it's that bad. And so, for who knowing the judgment of God, and they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And notice how this ends again. These people know the judgment of God. They even understand they'll die for these sins. But you know what? They do it anyway. They take pleasure in it. And seeing others do these things, even though they know it will get them killed and in hell too. And you know, when the Sodomites were blinded in Genesis 19, they knew exactly what happened, but they were determined to sin anyway. They didn't ask for repentance during that time. They just kept going for the men. And there is, there's judgment that is meant to cause us to turn from our sins and to get our attention. But then there's judgment that's for the sole purpose of destruction. And while this chapter started out really positive, it took a really dark turn. But what was the purpose of this? What's kind of the message of the chapter as a whole? Paul starts out explaining the power of the gospel and how wonderful it is for all people. This is for all, this gospel. This is for all people. It will get all people saved. But then, you know what he does? He goes and he shows the consequences of rejecting the gospel. That's what he's doing here. And so here's the simple fact about a soul winner and about a soul winning church. We often see ourselves just as going out and getting people saved and helping our community and our nation. But you know the simple fact is, while we are obviously doing that, we're also bringing more condemnation on them too. Because people are responsible for what they do with the light that is given to them. So when we come blasting a light on their front porch and they reject it, they're accountable for that. And what does it say in Matthew eleven twenty? Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Jesus is more mad at the cities where he went than he was at the cities where he hadn't gone. You know why? Because he, he was there. He had preached to them. They should have done something with that. He said, Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And now Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment 
than for thee. Sodom never had any real light that came. They got, a, I guess they might have had a little bit with Lot being there, but obviously he didn't do much with the light that he had. But if, they'd, if Jesus would have gone to Sodom, and obviously not in Lot's day, probably a lot earlier before they got all filled up with faggots, but if he, Jesus would have went there, they would have repented. But here he is in a city giving them all this light, and he's like, you know what? You're in bigger trouble than Sodom. Because you had all this light. And what do you think God is going to do on Judgment Day with a city like Rock Falls that has a soul-winning church in it when the doors have been knocked multiple times? This place is going to be in trouble. But at the same time, too, I don't think this city is in that much trouble yet because, first off, it's not hostile to the gospel. I, I don't get that many. I get more phone calls from other towns that we go to for knocking their doors than I do from this town where we do most of our, our door knocking. We get a lot of people saved here. We haven't had any physical persecution here. You know, so the thing is, it's doing okay. And, you know, and the Lord's blessed this area with, you know, with a church like ours. But under, so the thing is, overall, I think this area has received a blessing by our presence. They have been blessed by our presence. But understand, there are other churches who preach the gospel just like we do, who are just as saved as we are, who are soul winning just like we are, but the places where they're at are hostile towards the gospel. They're fighting them. They're not getting saved. They're not friendly towards them. And those soul winners, when they're going out trying to be a blessing and being a light, in reality, these people are getting judgment piled up on them like they... They have no idea of. And then in reality, what's being brought to them, while it was meant to be a blessing, while it could have been a blessing, they actually brought a curse. That's why in Matthew 10, 14, it says, and, what's, and whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. For verily I say to you, it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So, folks, understand, like, when we, went, when we went to Little Palestine, did you know all we probably accomplished that day is we actually got them in more trouble with God? Now, we did the right thing. We did the right thing. We tried to be a blessing, but it was re- completely rejected by everyone that we talked to there. And now they're in bigger trouble. Okay? Now, understand, we didn't hurt them, because remember what it said in John 3? He that believeth not, Jesus didn't come to condemn. They're already condemned. The people in Little Palestine are already condemned. We didn't come to condemn them. They were already condemned. We came hoping to bring them salvation. But when we came, bearing that light, bringing that light, they shut it down. They are in bigger trouble. Now, they've been blessed to escape the Muslim countries that they're from. They ended up in America in a country where they can't stop us from going and knocking on their doors. What, you know, they are blessed, they are more blessed than a vast majority of Muslims in the world. How many, what, what percentage of Muslims in this world do you think have had a soul winner come to their door with the King James Bible? And so who do you think God's going to be more mad at in the day of judgment? The residents of Afghanistan or the little Palestine? We got that town in trouble. And if it's any motivation... Just depending on Carney, keep that in mind with our little Israel trip. 
Some of you might not have the most gracious attitude towards going and uh, taking the gospel to a bunch of Jews, but if it motivates you any, if they reject, woe unto thee, Skokie! <laughs> woe unto thee! You know, I mean, they, you know, they need to do something. I, I do. I, I want to get saved. I, I do. I, I, I am not so mean that I just want to get them in bigger trouble. I want them, I want them to get saved. So the thing is, that soul winner... We do. We, we often see just kind of the blessing part. But depending on what they do, it can be a curse and get them in bigger trouble. And so what we're seeing with all the perversion in America today is a direct result of a nation that is rejecting the gospel more and more. A nation that's accepting more and more false gospels and just ignoring religion and God completely. There's a lot of light in this country and if we don't do anything good with it, we are going to pay dearly because there are soul winners all over this country. And if our nation does turn into a full-blown, just atheistic uh, society, I can't even imagine what God's going to do to this country after all the good he has given us. So anyway, that's Romans 1 and... Uh, let's let's go out there. Let's keep trying to be a blessing, but at the same time, you know, if it's any motivation or whatever whatever it takes to motivate you, know that if when these places where you're getting rejected, you're leaving a curse behind without even saying that. You're getting them in bigger trouble. So with that, let's pray, dear Lord. We thank you so much for this chapter and uh, the clarity it gives us, Lord. I mean, it, it would be very confusing seeing what's going on in our country right now if it weren't for chapters like this. And so I thank you for uh, giving us this uh, knowledge so uh, we won't be discouraged and uh, confused by all this taking place. But I pray, Lord, that it will just motivate us to uh, keep doing our job and doing what we're supposed to do and be in the light. In your name we pray. Amen.